Hey everybody, welcome to Animates. I'm Paige. And I'm Chris. And today we will be doing yet another episode on one of our favorites, Steven Universe. We are trucking right along. We are hopefully one day in the future going to talk about a show that isn't Steven Universe. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> but today is not that day. And technically neither is next time either. But it's to its credit, a very different show, I guess, going into the last two seasons. Like, it just changes gears a lot. So we have enough new stuff to talk about that it shouldn't feel stale. Yes, definitely. Though we will say that we did notice that season four, compared to season five, at least, season four really seems to be primarily filler. Um, the only section of season four that seems to really have a coherent plot or to drive the overall plot forward is the human zoo plot in the middle of the season and the last few episodes of the season that set up season five if there's any other overarching plot to season four it is steven's psychological conflict over having to reckon with the fact that his mother was a real and complex person. It should be stated. I, I feel like it's important to give the caveat that when I, at least when I say filler in Steven Universe, it's still important to recognize that the filler is generally high quality, often funny, and does advance character development for some of our beach city residents um mostly them actually a lot of the gems sort of take a back seat outside of the plot but they are still good they just don't advance the overarching plot yeah they're very entertaining it's just that in terms of the series arc there's not a lot going on um, I will say the very first episode of season four is a really excellent um, homage to Roadrunner. Um, it's Kindergarten Kid and, pardon me, um, basically Peridot tries to poof a uh, corrupted gem for the first time. And she does, and it's in the desert and she does lots of classic Wily e. Coyote stuff and the monster is very Roadrunner-esque and it's really well done and entertaining. Uh, all right. Because there's so much and partially because it, this, I guess we wouldn't be doing a retrospective because the C Steven Universe ends, but it doesn't end at the end of season five. Like, it is the culmination of an entire series of five seasons, but they added a movie. It It's in this weird space where I feel like it's still important to digest the first five seasons as a whole because they were clearly it's a treated. liminal space. <laughs> That's a perfect way to describe it. Uh, soft voice and all. <clears throat> so season four, big points. Number one, Stephen is really sort of beginning to be racked by conflict with his 
identity in regards to like dealing with his mom's shit, recognizing that his mom was a very complex individual and also just like the divide between who am I because his mom was also technically a part of him, right? That whole weird metaphysical uh, conundrum. So I would say that doesn't get resolved by the end of this season. Generally speaking, it I would say that it takes on a new form as it enters into season five. But I would agree. Um, I will say I think that before moving on to the human zoo plot line to discuss that momentarily to set up season five. I think we should take a brief moment to address the episode, the double episode Gem Harvest, because it really upset people when it came out. So I think it's worth addressing briefly. Um, For those of you who may not be remembering, that is the Thanksgiving style episode from November of 2016, where... Steven learns about the DeMeos and that he has an uncle, well, cousin named Andy. And Andy comes off as being very grumpy and easily offended. And he is very uh, conservative and he says a lot of things that can very clearly be linked to real world opinion, conservative opinions that people have. And so the episode was released within a matter of days after Trump's election. And a lot of people, their reaction to it was to say, this was an episode that was made in anticipation of Hillary winning. And it was meant to be an episode telling us that Trump supporters are just misguided people. And we should welcome them back into the fold and try to reach out to them. But that's not what happened. And we're angry and we're not going to do that. And we resent being told that message. Boy, I did not get that at all. Oh, yeah, that is very much uh, the reaction online. Wow, I didn't. Oh, wow. That is not how I reacted to it. <laughs> That's not how I reacted to it either. But a lot of people reacted to it that way. And I guess when once you've heard that criticism of it, it's hard not to view it through that lens, especially when Stephen's like, well, they're aliens. And he's like, oh, they're aliens. They're illegal aliens, you know, uh, I- and all that kind of stuff. So it definitely... Once you've heard that criticism, you're like, oh, he is kind of a conservative guy. And he talks about how he was the one who was left behind. But he ultimately comes to the conclusion that he could have changed his behavior at any time. There was really no good reason for him to feel that he was left behind. And through Stephen's sensitivity is brought back into the fold and, um, you know, works to be a more sensitive person and to let down his guard. Right. Yeah. I guess I sort of read that as a, I mean, I I think saying they seem conservative is definitely, I, I was like old fashioned. He seems very like old fashioned male city dweller. And Mm -hmm. I thought that 
honestly, I thought that this was sort of like a big city, almost like real world correlate being introduced into Beach City. And I mean, the tent, like you could feel the tension, but I guess I didn't, I didn't give it a ton of additional weight. I was like, this is somebody whose life is clearly very different than Stevens and even the people who live in Beach City. They exist in a city where the world is presumably more realistic than it is in Beach City. So, of course, there's going to be some tension and they manage to resolve those differences. Yeah, and I think that's also a perfectly fine way to read it. It's just like... What do people who don't have to live in Beach City and deal with this weirdness all the time perceive when they interact with this group of people? Yeah, because it's very like it would be very disorienting. It would. Oh, like, extremely, extremely. I, I definitely didn't agree with some of the ways that he interacted with them, but I also deeply identified with being in a situation where you don't know how anything works exactly yeah for sure so i don't know i don't really have that much more to say about that particular episode i just felt that because it got such a strong strong reaction online when it came out that maybe we should take a second to talk about it well this is the first time hearing of it so thank you <laughs> All right. Another. Is this the time where we start getting hints through dreams regarding some things that happened in season five? Do those pop up during um, season four? I don't think so. The closest thing is when. Well, I guess it is. It's uh, Steve. Steven's dream and it's when he sees through blue diamond's eyes so the dreams don't fully hint at what you're talking about but he does start to have dreams that tell him things basically and give him information in season four okay that 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 makes sense um human zoo Human zoo. There's a zoo for humans in space. We are introduced in a in a very quick succession to Blue Diamond, who kidnaps Greg, who takes him to Pink's human zoo, and then Stephen has to go rescue him with the gems, of course. So this this is the beginning of the space opera arc. The whole thing is technically a space opera, but specifically this, I feel like is really a device to kind of start getting us used to the idea of them traveling through space and dealing with the gem homeworld bullshit. And yeah, you start to deal with homeworld gems to a much greater degree than we ever have before. So they go to rescue Greg from this human zoo and through the process, we get some introduction to the diamonds. We get some context on um, some different gems that we've never seen before. We see 
some of Pink's history. Specifically, she owned a human zoo. Well, she owned a zoo for creatures from planets that had been conquered. Explicitly describe it as a human zoo and don't ever describe it as anything other than a human zoo. Oh, that's I, I think I'm confusing it with she did still collect creatures from other places, but this was only meant for humans. Yeah. So they go and they rescue Greg. <laughs> I mean, what are some big points about this to avoid summarizing too much? Um, um like Amethyst meets other Amethysts and gets excited about that. We meet Blue and Yellow Diamond really for the first time and see what their deal is. Basically, we find that uh, Blue has been in perpetual grief for Pink for thousands of years and can't move on. And Yellow is she's a rationalizer and intellectualizer. And she sings a song uh, called What's the Point of Feeling Blue? And it's a, like, it's a double entendre, like, blue, the metaphor for feeling sad, and blue, blue's name, about how she should just be like, all gems have their purpose, and your purpose is to lead, and you're feeling sad, and stop it. That's pointless. It's pointless to, so we get a little window into them, and what they're like, and... You know, we see a little bit more about how, how homeworld gems interact with each other. But in terms of real development that moves the plot forward, there's still not a ton. All right. Big, big things to me. Um, number one, Amethyst situation of meeting the other Amethyst from Earth, I feel like really hits home the idea that forming uh, gems clearly have types and those types come with personality differences like it is i feel like that's well established like rubies definitely show individual differences but as a class of gem rubies have certain traits same with set well we only see one sapphire but um <clears throat> We're led to believe that amethysts and jaspers also kind of share these differences. And I, for so long, amethyst has had like a really big identity struggle or, or understanding her place or maybe fighting with lacking a sense of belonging. And part of that stems from the fact that she was the only one of her class like her group, her type, whatever you want to call them, that she has ever met. And she knows that there are others out there. And so it feels like she's always been left to wonder how deviant am I from them? Like, I know that I'm shorter, but what about all those other amethysts? What are they like? What are my, what is my group like? And so I feel like that's been a really big sort of unmovable thorn for her 
because it can only really be resolved by getting information about those other uh, gems. And this is the time where she finally gets it. And I mean, what ends up happening is she realizes that she is really like very much like them that aside from her height and even then there are some other ones that are also short or have other um differences that sort of set them apart from the others basically like through this introduction to this group of people with which she shares this profound similarity she feels more she definitely becomes more confident and invigorated and i think it's just like a great example of how like social creatures really do need to know to some extent that they're like others that sense of alienation that you feel by by thinking you're the only one is is really profound and i think they do it maybe unintentionally but they do a good job of showing that as a very important hurdle for people to overcome. Yeah, and I will say that Amethyst makes a lot of progress emotionally in season five, especially. And I think that probably uh, meeting, as she calls them, the Famethyst uh, <laughs> was probably a pretty big part of that. She just... It, it seems like a weight is really lifted off of her. So I think that to say that it is important for everything that happens later is, is right on the money. You know what? Good for Amethyst. Good for Amethyst. Good for her. <laughs> <laughs> um, a particularly favorite episode of mine in season four is Rocknaldo. I really enjoy that episode. <laughs> Basically, Ronaldo tries to become a crystal gem. Yeah. Don't say rock people. It's offensive. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, human zoo, they rescue Greg and they leave. Yeah, that's pretty much all that happens, <laughs> honestly. And then we have some more fun little, you know, we get development for Peridot, Lapis and Connie together and we get Ragnaldo, and we get the wrap-up to the underground wrestling subplot. <laughs> and uh, All right, I do want yeah. to point out that there's a very traumatizing episode called Storm in the Room, and Steven goes back into Rose's room, <clears throat> and he asks to see his mother... And so basically, he's just like, can you manifest my anxiety and trauma in front of me? That would be great. And it it's a very powerful episode. Yeah, it's it's upsetting. And the kind of follow up to that is Lion 4 ultimate ending, alternate ending, where he's Lion leads him to a tape, but it's just an alternate version of the same message from his mom that he's already seen before and he has a talk with his dad because basically because of the way that so many people have been treating him and his anxieties over dealing with the fact that he's learned a lot about his mom and now knows that she was a complicated person he 
is sure that she must have she wouldn't have just left all of this shit on him if he did she didn't have some purpose for him but that's not how having children works you know it's you don't have children with the intention to leave all of your shit on them and you don't have children because you have some purpose in mind for them you just you just do you know and he has to reckon with that the end of the season are you my dad i am my mom which is just great great titles for for these episodes and it also showcases that homeworld gems just still don't understand the language of humans like okay a gem comes to earth looking for my dad because a while back steven listed a bunch of people that he really liked and he said my dad so this gem who doesn't have a concept of parenthood is saying are you my dad but it's not like it's dad the name is my dad it's very okay that joke is very funny i love it but that episode basically sees a gem come to earth to kidnap a bunch of humans yeah and, and they also they're they're thinking of these humans as as gem types she says you know a lars a sadie a connie a my dad which is weird uh and basically that episode i am my mom ends very okay so there's a lot that happens in a very short period of time but essentially in order to save like everyone steve decides to go back to homeworld steve <laughs> steve Steve. I would just love it if it was Steve Universe. It would feel so different. <laughs> uh, Steve. Uh. <laughs> he would definitely feel more beige. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I don't know. It's just one letter. I know, <laughs> but it just feels so different for it to be Steve instead of Steven. <laughs> Steve Universe, the show about a, the show about a boy who has mild interpretation about his mother, and lives and lives with some magical sand. <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> no one ever once ever calls him Steve ever. His father's name is Gregory Starr. <laughs> okay. Okay. Any of you enterprising writers out there, go ahead and write the show Steve Universe for us. All right. So, Steven. <laughs> Steven. I'm going to say Steve again. <laughs> no, it. Um, Steven gives himself up. In order to save everybody, which everybody hates, because he feels some sense of personal responsibility for everything that is happening. 
which is so fucked up. He shouldn't. He really has nothing to do with it. Like, he... Because he listed off the names, he feels like he is the one kidnapping them. Which is... I mean, it's the way a child would think. Like, it's... Yes. It is, um... Profoundly wrong. And everybody feels very helpless watching him do this. And But even more than that, it's not just at this point for him, it's not just about that these particular people are being kidnapped and that he feels responsible for that. He feels that because his mother is, as he puts it at one point, a war criminal, and he has his mother's gem, and gems don't understand that, that the only way that he can get Homeworld to leave everyone that he cares about alone is to take responsibility for everything that his mom did. Um, and he does it kind of spitefully, actually. You you know, you hear him talking about it in uh, episode one of season five. And he's really like he's crossing his arms and he's kind of pouting about it. And he really is acting like a child. You know, he's just like, fine, you know, fine. I'm just going to go. I'm I'm my mom. You want Rose Quartz? I'm going to be my mom. I'm going to go to Homeworld. And you leave everybody I like alone. And so he just he really does like take on the sins of the mother because he believes that it it's the only way to put an end to this conflict that presents a threat to his loved ones. It is really nice that they Stephen basically Lars and an act of cowardice, but not <laughs> unreasonable cowardice. I no. don't know. Like Lars basically doesn't get a chance to get off the alien ship, and so he's stuck going there with Steven. So Lars in Lars is sort of a um neutral observer to all of this that the audience can use to kind of because he even eventually says, like, Steven, that's not your fault. Like, so he sort of kind of exists both as comedic relief but also as a person to kind of be like wait that's weird um steven is taken back <clears throat> and man season five is just a sort of a mad dash to the end summarizing each big thing is going to be too long so we should just get, like, the big reveals out of the way right now. Okay, sure. Because there are some big ones. I mean, Stephen goes to trial. Yes. And basically, the reason that the trial is important is because we get to see interactions between yellow and blue, but most importantly... It is revealed through a legal procedural how Rose Quartz could not have shattered Pink Diamond. Yes, for the first time, someone points out, well, let's think about this all logically. And when they do, it doesn't make any fucking sense 
And actually, it seems that that's part of what's been bothering Blue all this time is that it doesn't make any fucking sense. Because they, they're they pointing out basically that like Pink Diamond should have been surrounded by many members of her court as well as many soldiers all the time and that Rose Quartz had been a recognized threat for quite some time already. So how could any Rose Quartz ever possibly have gotten close enough to Pink to do her harm unless there was a conspiracy is what the uh, defense attorney comes up with as a possible explanation. So, you know, skipping ahead, right? That's something that's been bothering Steven for a long time. And well, okay, so a little bit of out of show history at this point. Sure. For anybody who followed Steven Universe Discourse, which is much more exciting than Steve Universe Discourse. <laughs> You know, Steve Universe Discourse is about his khaki pants. <laughs> Which also, you know, Steven points out that he's a distinguished boy and deserves distinguished khakis, so. That a lot of people, and I, and I feel like at the beginning, it didn't have a huge amount of traction, but really, like, season four... I mean, some people technically did call it like way back when certain things were introduced. But I feel like this episode duo was like when a certain theory picked up a lot of steam regarding Rose Quartz. Um, I think it's when I started to... Mm, I'm trying to think... If I was on board at that point, I don't think I was. I think it took until the jungle planet. But anyway, a lot of theories about Rose Quartz started to pick up steam. And that theory was that Rose Quartz and Pink Diamond are the same person. And a lot of people still weren't on board yet. So the trial really sort of like sets a lot of those conversations onto motion into motion. Um, and later, we continually get information that is meant to foreshadow this, too. So some of that information comes in later episodes like let's see here jungle moon i think jungle, is the big jungle one jungle moon because steven and connie get stranded on a junk like an alien moon as stevani which is great that episode is fucking great it's uh, awesome stevani has like s badass survivalist skills stevani has stubble it's great. <laughs> Which is a nice little detail. No, it's, it's a great detail because like Stevani. I love it. Yeah. Stevani is supposed to be non-binary and it's like, I, I feel like a lot. sometimes I see people focus on like more masculine traits being put upon by feminine traits for non-binary, but this is like the opposite direction, which is really nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, Steven has a dream 
in a gym tower from the perspective of Pink Diamond. And the question is, how the fuck does he have this dream? And he sees his reflection in the mirror and it's Pink Diamond. I think that was the moment when I was like, oh, um, that I guessed at what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. I think me too. Because at that point, they've established that Pink, that Pink Diamond couldn't have been shattered by Rose Quartz. And Steven only has dreams of gems that are nearby. That his, his mental powers require proximity in order to have. So, ultimately, it... I mean, the fact that Steven had powers that were greater than other gems. Yeah, like, why does Rose Quartz and Ordinary Quartz have so many powers, right? It, it, it just, a lot of things started to add up. I mean, and once you go back, there, there are, like, little things everywhere. <laughs> like, there are pink diamonds in a variety of places. Really? I never noticed that. Yeah. Like, um, oh my god, there's an ep- Ugh, I wish I had written it down. I mean, there are some episodes where there is a pink diamond on or around Steven. Huh. Oh, it's when he's a baby! Remember when Greg puts his onesie on him and he has to unbutton the area around his gem. And it's diamond shape. It's a diamond shape. Oh, man. Oh. So, man. <laughs> so so they, they clearly established hints that you can go back and, and I was like, oh, my God. I, I was kind of mad that I didn't realize things sooner. I know because I didn't realize it basically until they wanted me to. For sure. Did not realize it. So just... To, to, to move it along a little bit, this comes to fruition in the double episode Can't Go Back and A Single Pale Rose. So it begins with Steven going to the moon to talk to Lapis because Lapis has fled. And he ends up having another dream. You know, he's at another place built by the diamonds and he has another dream from the perspective of Pink Diamond. And I can't remember what about it makes him think he needs to go talk to Pearl. But he goes and talks to Pearl and she acts really fucking weird. And he ends up going... It's very Inception. Like, he goes inside her Pearl and inside... And then in there, there's another Pearl and he goes inside her Pearl and so on and so forth to the deeply, deeply, deeply buried secret that in fact Rose was actually Pink Diamond and that they faked her and that Pearl was Pink Diamond's Pearl and that they faked her shattering and Pink chose to live as Rose Quartz permanently. It's... Oh, man... I feel a lot of feelings when I watch those episodes. Because 
Okay, for lack of a better way to put it, Stephen is not a part of that at all. Like, a part of that history. Like, you're seeing these adults engage in adult things that are very complicated and and happened in the past. And I, uh, I don't know, man. Just, like, seeing a previous version of Pearl, too, is really weird. And... Pink Diamond is humanized some, but I still go through it and I'm so conflicted about her. And I think we're supposed to be. I don't think that that's supposed to be an easy thing to do. But like, she's an aristocrat who wants her family to take notice of her. So she starts a colony and they don't recognize her. So she devises a plan to free herself from them. And she tries to get them to abandon the colony. So she does try to do her due diligence, I guess. Like, it doesn't absolve her, but she tries to get them to leave, and they won't. So she starts a rebellion because that's the only thing that they're going to listen to. And she gives up all of... She gives up her previous life and identity, and she does fight with everyone so it's not like she's sitting back and moving pieces on a chessboard it I still just don't know how to feel cause like how could she have done things differently I don't actually know yeah I also think there have been times where I talked about the, the big reveal with Rose Quartz and the kind of doubt it casts on her behavior and Whenever we see the memories of Pink Diamond, she just, she's so childish. Like her experience of the world, it's like a, it's like a manic pixie dream girl almost. It's, it's just incredibly naive and, you know, it's filled with a child's wonder um, but also with the child's, you know, caprice and petulance, right? We see her behave, like, literally throwing tantrums and behaving like a child, but also getting treated like a child by her family, you know, and, and punished in the way that a child is. But that kind of, you continue to see that sort of, like, wonderment in Rose Quartz and the way that she talks to Greg about, you know, wanting to play with him and things like that. It's almost like she is a toddler who decided that she didn't like her family and liked her toys better and wanted to run away and live with her toys forever. You know, and it's really just 
you know, she decided that she didn't, that like life was beautiful and precious and that she wanted to protect it. And that's great and everything. But in terms of her general attitude and the way that she treats people around her, it's like she sees really no difference between a flower and a human being. You know, that it that everything is just. Or her fascination with Garnet and how they say, well, like Garnet changes her and really, really made her believe that things could be different. It's like, but Garnet was also very novel. And we see Rose Quartz endlessly seeking novelty in the way that a child does. And it's almost, almost even down to having Stephen is it's it's just like she's continually seeking shiny new toys that are more fun to play with through their novelty and that she doesn't really ever gain an understanding of anyone around her as real people. I feel like she invests too much for me to totally agree with that. Like... She's willing to end her existence for something. That doesn't seem like sort of a passing fancy. I know that initially, <clears throat> like running around and playing with gems on Earth while she's still in a position of authority, that very much fits with what you just said. When she decides to literally fight on the front lines with people that definitely feels more invested than what a toddler would do. I guess. I just feel like the way that we see her interact with people on an interpersonal level, I don't feel like she ever completely shakes that. You know? I, I, I don't, I don't I, either. I think you're right. I think it still colors everything that she does, but I, I don't think that that is the totality of who she is. Yeah, it's kind of like the way that we see, so on Homeworld, there are those little creatures called pebbles, which are very cute, which appear to just be like servants who work behind the scenes. And it seems that no one gives a shit about them, but Pink was like really nice to them and had affectionate relationships with them. But ultimately, she was still a person where everyone around her existed to serve her and was not as important as her, and was not as much of a person as her. And I don't think that she ever fully shook. I don't think there was a certain point of truly conceptualizing other people as people who were just as much people as she was, that she, she never got to that point fully. She stopped viewing everyone around her as simply playthings, but I don't think that she ever got to the point where she really was able to see everyone around her as full, developed people that felt and, and thought and had internal lives as, as, as strongly as she did. I, I would agree. It seems like part of that was because of her upbringing <clears throat> uh, yeah, her, yeah. her situation on like Homeworld, whether yes, she was being yes. treated like a child or people literally did just fawn over her because of her traits, like her just the thing. The fact that she, that she was a diamond. Right. Mm -hmm. And on Earth, that could have been a chance for her to experience that like resistance, 
but she was kind of a victim of her own charisma. Yeah, she essentially became like a benevolent cult leader. Like she she didn't necessarily try to do that, but everybody lined up behind her because her presence was so powerful. Yes. Yes. Which is also something that I guess she couldn't necessarily control without, like, knowing it was happening. Um, All right. Here's a question I'm going to ask you, and I know it's a thing that you're not supposed to do, but let's do it anyway. If you were going to, like, diagnose Rose, how would you diagnose her? I don't know if I would give her a diagnosis. Interesting. Okay. The reason being is because nothing... First of all, there's not enough data. True. Um, second of all, I, it's <laughs> there's no evidence that she was either dysfunctional or distressed. Like when you diagnose or consider pathology. One framework is to use the four D's. Um, Distress, danger, deviancy in the statistical sense, not in the moral sense, and um, dysfunction. So are they distressed by their state? Are they dysfunctional as defined by themselves or in some cases society? are they a danger to themselves or others? Uh, and deviancy is, is the state so different from everyone else that it at least deserves research, right? Um, I, I can't really say that she was dysfunctional. Like, I think she shows anger and selfishness but again she invests enough in other people at various times that i don't think she was dysfunctional and she doesn't seem distressed by her state as rose sure no definitely not yeah i guess like as a non-expert i like look at her behavior and her interpersonal relationships i'm like well there's definitely some attachment issues there you know um, I mean, she is able to form a healthy relationship with Greg. That's true, eventually. And she does. Her novelty is not represented in the fact. I would say she has attachment issues if she dropped relationships very fast. But she doesn't. She she keeps her relationships with the Crystal Gems. Um... She doesn't seem to have problems connecting with people who are willing to connect with her. So I, I would say there's not enough evidence of that either. Sure. I guess more what I'm feeling maybe is that like she inspires what appears to me to be a dysfunctional attachment in other people. Y- yeah, I, unfortunately... That's not really, I mean, like, narcissistic people are oftentimes very charismatic, but I don't see enough narcissism in her. 
doctor to 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 give a diag. She might be high on a non-pathological narcissism scale or something. Sure, sure. But yeah. she is not pathologically narcissistic. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like when you see a person and they're surrounded by all of these other people and the other people are all so fucked up and the other people seem so codependent that you're like, well, what's wrong with that person? And it's like, um, maybe nothing. Maybe they're just really charismatic. Well, I mean, Carl Rogers would say that people flock to her because she gives unconditional positive regard to other people. Hmm. She, her wonderment is unconditional. And that's toxic. Not toxic. Infectious to people who are not used to receiving unconditional positive regard. All of the gems have all these conditions of worth placed on them by homeworld. And this gem comes along and she says, I love you for who you are, no matter what. That is basically giving a wilted flower a bunch of water. Okay. And they can't help but flock to them. Greg is the same way. People don't look at Greg in wonderment. But she comes along and she does. And it's it doesn't matter how packed his show was. It doesn't matter how good his music was. She loves it. And that sort of unconditional affection is... People who can genuinely give that to others are people that attract others. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Combine that with her. She is physically attractive and she oh, is sure. she is charismatic. So extremely. Yeah. She, ha she has like a nexus of traits that make her a magnet. Yeah. Okay, next big reveal. Steven can bring people back from the dead. Lars dies in front of our eyes. Fucking dies. And Steven... And then Steven cries on him like Fox the Phoenix. Um, and then Steven... Lars comes back to life and he turns pink and his hair becomes a magical dimension portal. Just like our good friend Lion. So, Lion must have died at some point and Rose brought it back to life. Yeah, and we see... Ro at, in, so, in the episode where they read um, Buddy, whatever the face's journal, we see Rose, like, several hundred years ago with a bunch of lions. And I suppose we're only to assume that there was a lion in her little pride that whom she so loved that when he died she cried over his body and brought him back to life and i guess he's fucking immortal now meaning Lars uh, is immortal that's, yeah that's it's he doesn't seem to need to eat anymore and there's a pretty strong indication that both lars and lion are now immortal sucks for lars <laughs> yeah right but that leads to some really fun stuff because basically 
when they are on Homeworld, Steven and Lars have to escape the diamonds and they meet a bunch of gems called they're off colors. So meaning that they're defective, they're off color from type who live in hiding because apparently if you are off color, you get shattered, which is just fucking fabulous. My favorite is Paparacha. Paparacha is incredible. She's an orange orange sapphire, so she can only predict things that have just happened. (laughs) Which, Which actually, I was thinking about it, is more useful than you think it is. Because if something happens that you don't see, Paparazzi can tell you that it happened. That's true. So if somebody steals your wallet and you don't catch them, Paparazzi can say your wallet was just stolen. That's still very useful. Yeah, that's true. That is pretty useful. She does do that once. Where she's like, guarded is going to make everyone uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) So Paparazzi is great. She's got this. She's totally different than Sapphire. She's bubbly and happy and very like <laughs> and it's great it's a great contrast yeah she's she's great and i let me just talk about the off colors a little bit because they're all really fabulous so there's paparacha and there's the rutile twins who they're basically like conjoined twins they're they're two-headed and then there is a rhodite so she's also a fusion of garnet mentions what she's a fusion of and i Missed it. She's a pearl and a ruby. Ah, okay. Yeah. So she's a fusion. And then there is a fusion of six gems who is definitely homage to the opium smoking caterpillar from Alice in Wonderland. Polyamorous relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So, and one time someone says, how many are you up to at this point? Six gems. And she's like, Maybe more if we meet the right gem. (laughs) (laughs) Which is fucking great. Yeah, it's fabulous. And that's all of them, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So basically the consequence of all of this happening is that now Steven can get back to Earth through Lars's head. um, To go through Lars's head and go through Lion. But like Lars can't come through his own head. So he embarks in a career of space piracy with the off-colors as they try to come to Earth. And it's really fucking fabulous, actually. Very There are anime. a couple of episodes... Oh, yeah. It's all a big homage to an uh, anime that I have actually never seen called Space Pirate Captain Hook. And, like, in fact, the coat that he wears is, like, exactly the coat that Space Pirate Captain Hook wears. And so we get to check in with them as they travel through space. Because apparently the ship that they have can travel much faster than anything humans have, but not quite as fast as the ships that people have traveled on so far. It's it's space pirate Captain Harlock. Really? The thing that I saw said Captain Hook. Yeah, it's Captain Harlock. Well, I'm sorry, everyone. And his name is Phantom F. Harlock II. Incredible. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. sorry, continue. So that's just really excellent. They just check back in with it throughout the season, and it's fucking fantastic every time. Um, and also that gives an opportunity for two of my favorite side characters, Lars and Seedy, to develop independently of one another and um, 
address their dysfunction with one another through their separation, basically. Yeah. Like, Sadie stops being so self-conscious and hung up on Lars and whether or not Lars gives a shit about her. And she makes other friends and pursues her music. And Lars comes to the realization that he's been really shitty. Basically because he becomes friends with a group of people who think he's really great and he gives him the gives them the opportunity to tell them to tell him so and that raises his confidence to a level where he can reckon with how poorly he's treated everyone around him for his entire adolescence which is great i it's very important for them eventually forming a healthy relationship yes because if we're going to discuss fucking dysfunctional relationships lars and sadie yeah it's not good. <laughs> but, you know, it's one of those things that ultimately Lars kind of has trouble with it. <laughs> at first, he's very selfish at first. He's like, how dare she move on without me? Which is <laughs> just wow. I think that that moment is just a perfect encapsulation of Lars. Yes. Post or sorry, pre this moment. Yes. Yes. And basically everyone calls him out on it. You know, like Stephen and Connie were like, what? What the fuck are you talking about? Why you think that Sadie's having a nice time in her life intentionally to hurt your feelings? Like she doesn't even know. Why would why would anybody ever do that? That's insane behavior, Lars. And it's insane to think that. Yes. Yes. So eventually they basically Lars and them will spend the entire season out in space. Yeah, so they they land back on Earth in the final episode. All right. So now um, big moments before talking about the really big shit. Uh, and yes. we should be fairly quick. Television has a lesbian wedding. It's the first ever lesbian wedding in children's animation. Sapphire and Ruby get married. And also Ruby's the one who wears the dress and Sapphire is the one who wears the suit. It's it unexpected. It is par excellence. It's very cute. <clears throat> okay. So, Stephen gets back to Earth from the trial. And they have a wedding. And it's amazing. Oh, it's such a good episode. It's And they kiss overtly. There is no way to read it other than two women being in love. <laughs> they are not roommates. They are not they are not sisters. gal pals. <laughs> they are not sisters. Like they, like they are. They're uh, they're here. They're queer and they're proud. It's gay. It's very gay. Yeah. It's hard to actually state how many people have said seeing that was very important for them. Interesting. Okay. 
like as a moment for queer representation, it is very important to many people. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely it was really great. It's like there was really no reason at all for them to do this, except for the fact that they were like, there's never been a lesbian wedding in children's animation and we're going to do one. <laughs> you know, like it didn't really serve anything. It was unnecessary. They were just like, you know, it'd be fun. Wedding. Lesbian wedding. And I could think of no better reason to do it than that. Yeah, honestly. It's really cute. They have a cute wedding. But... That immediately gets wrecked. Yes, because the diamonds <laughs> fucking show up. <laughs> so this is the big cross-platform combat scene that everybody's been waiting for. Blue and Diamond are here. All the... Crystal gems are fighting. The cluster makes an appearance. Just like everything goes crazy at once. And eventually the good guys win. Basically, well, through the power of emotion, through the power of emotion, blue and yellow are felled. Well, not felled, felled, but they are subdued. By Steven. Yeah. Steven reaches out to them psychically and they're like, oh, my God, it's pink. So basically, he reveals his nature to them. And that's really when the show hits its final stride. When they recognize that he's Pink Diamond. But it's like they do it in a really weird way. Okay, this is okay. If there's any point where the show shifts into being about trans issues it's this moment yes before there's the weird metaphysical mom thing that takes a back seat like it's still there and still a way to read it of course but like they start like dead naming him and they basically start treating him like pink yeah even though he's very clear with them Hey, so it turns out like Pink decided to live as Rose Quartz on Earth and then she gave up a physical form to create me and I am half human and I have neither Rose Quartz's or Pink Diamond's memories. I do not have their memories. I have my own thing. I am separate from them. And they're like, okay, okay, makes sense. Um, Well, let's go do things like we used to do them, Pink. You know, I think they stand in for ultimately semi well-meaning, but uneducated family members. I would say so. I would say so. Because they aren't unreasonable. Yeah. And a lot of that stuff of like, do you really not remember? Do you really not remember? It's just like this, like failure to be able to conceptualize that pink could both still exist yet not exist you know and rather than just work privately to accept it they keep putting that on steven well and i i will say like the allegory isn't perfect because the, no, me- the memory one to one like the memory part is re- like the memory part would be really upsetting to 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 family like the idea that you don't remember them, it like when a person is trans, it's not like they forget sure, their yeah. previous life. 
Steven doesn't remember all the good times that they would have had. And that, like, th I think that that evokes a understandable sense of loss for them. Like they yeah, have to... I kind of, to me, where it fits into the trans allegory is like, you know, a mom going over pictures with her trans son of him as a small child and being like, oh, you were so beautiful. Oh, and don't you remember how much you loved your princess dress? You loved that dress. You looked so cute in it. And look at your little earring, you know, that kind of thing. Like the 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 need to the need to mourn the daughter that they feel that they have lost but externalizing it at their existing son rather than realizing that that's something that they should handle privately okay i buy that 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 that, that makes sense to me um a lot actually mm -hmm. so um the Steven goes to Homeworld because he has a new goal. I mean, obviously, he wants to convince Blue and Yellow of his like he does. His new goal is to try to heal all the corrupted gems. And his main goal is to get Blue and Yellow to help him. And they do try like it really is hard for me to feel negatively towards Yellow and Blue at this point because they do they begin to try to to deal with the situation like they could ignore it it could just not listen to steven but they do try and they do manage to heal a corrupted gem temporarily but it is established that they will need yellow blue and white diamond so white diamond kind of becomes the final boss yeah it's the first time she's ever mentioned like you had to figure that she existed because all of the diamond icons had a white diamond in them that's something that i brought up like with talking about it with chris at some point during season four like there has to be a white diamond right um but it's the first time she's ever been mentioned at this point, this serves two functions narratively. Number one, it's sort of like a final challenge for like Steven to self-actualize in the eyes of other people, I guess. Or to make them... It is his chance to convince all of his family... His Well, yes, his family... To see his situation for what it is. Right. To convince them of him, of himself, basically. But also a chance to resolve all of the earthly conflicts they have. Mm -hmm. Right. So it, it serves many purposes. So he goes to Homeworld with all the gems. Well, with the main crystal gems anyway. Not Bismuth, Peridot and Lapis. They stay on Earth. Connie is there as well. And... From here until the end, it is tense and uncomfortable, claustrophobic, and sort of like a mad dash to the end. And a yes. lot of things, like a lot of things happen. I mean, okay, 
so many things happen. Like, Steven... Oh, man, there's so much. Like, big things include Blue is the first to really understand Steven. Which makes total sense, right? She is... He's clearly the most sensitive. He's clearly the most sensitive. And clearly, I'm going to say, cared the most overtly for Pink. Or was at least, I guess, like, I would say she was closest to Pink. Yellow has to be fought. Like, blue and yellow get in a fight. A physical fight. A physical fight. It's pretty cool. Um, yellow speaks, yellow's harder to crack, and so they have to physically punch her. <laughs> which is a terrible, which is a terrible message for people. Like, if this person, <laughs> if this person doesn't understand you, punch him in the face. <laughs> like, okay. That's a bit much, guys. Um, yeah, and like in that, because basically both of them have a really hard time. And, but Blue's able to understand, basically Blue takes on the job of punishing Steven for misbehaving, but which is not behaving to the like extremely rigid high standards of the Diamond Court. And basically he has a discussion with her and she gains a level of understanding. And so when she's fighting with Yellow, she makes a point when Yellow refers to Steven as pink to like to say he prefers to be called Steven. And that's basically like a big flashing sign that says trans allegory. Yeah. And and Yellow... Yellow sort of has like her own personal issues that were getting wrapped up in her ability to, to kind of understand. She states that she is under an immense amount of pressure from White Diamond. So she sort of takes on the older sister. Yes. Part of the family. Like she's the first son, well, the first daughter. She is in charge of the most planets. She she basically has run the Empire. And she has a great line. She's like, diamonds are hard, but they're also brittle. Um, a gem could crack under that much pressure. So once she is able to start tearing down that idea that she has to be perfect mm -hmm. she is able to see that basically that pink shouldn't have to be perfect either or, yes. or rather that like they should be free to be human to use the like you know what i mean when i say to be human yes, yes absolutely absolutely and yeah and they're able to reconcile and yellow is able to yellow is able to get on Steven's level. Yeah, but it it ultimately turns out that they have this like very dysfunctional mother in White Diamond who puts an insane amount of pressure on everyone and has incredibly high and impossible to meet demands for everyone around her 
And then also does this really fucking insane thing uh, when people just... What's up? White Diamond, just as a caveat to what you're about to say, is fucking creepy as shit. So creepy. Like, okay, White Diamond to me is meant as an allegory for like a 1950s high-class woman. It's literally like Mommy Dearest. Like, like it's she wears so heels unsettling. and has these, like, all of her features are perfect. She wears this gleaming dress. She, her eyes are mascaraded perfectly. It, she and looks. She always just papers over everything with a nice cultured voice. Oh, Starlight, did you get it all out of your system now? That's wonderful. It, it they do. I think, um, I think. They did an excellent job of putting, like, traditional perfection and femininity into an entity. I mean, she radiates blinding white light. And all of her features are in stark black. Yeah. It's great. Like... The art design for her is absolutely stunning. And fucking terrifying. And she when she speaks in that comforting-ish voice that is uncanny valley. Yes. So it, it, it is creepy. Mm-hmm. And as Paige was saying, she does something when people disagree with her. Yeah, when people disagree with her, like when people, you know, sort of like insist on disagreeing with her, she. So she makes a point of saying that. All that she radiates pure white light and that all other gems merely contain impurities that disrupt that pure light. And so she somehow has the ability when she wants to, to take over other people's bodies and they turn white and speak with her voice. And we see her pearl was, we see at one point Pink's pearl and must have done something. And she has like a cracked eye And she is entirely black and white or just gray, really, and speaks with white's voice. And so when Blue and Yellow stand up to her, she does that to them. She and eventually at the in the final final battle does that to everyone, everyone but Steven, who she can't do that to because he's part human. She takes over their bodies and they turn completely gray and speak with her voice. And they're just they're nowhere. She, yeah, it's weird because now, okay, so this is a point where color is a stand-in for just, like, all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Like, color for the off-colors kind of hits this home, too. Like, color represents deviancy. Um, even blue and yellow. Like, from white, like, I think it's supposed to also show how unreasonable white is. Like... White says, poor Blue, the impurities in her diamond soak up all the warmth in her spectrum. And poor Yellow, like, 
her impurities soak up all the blue. Like, basically, like, they are who they are because of the color they are, which is fucking nuts. Like, they somehow add a color-based analysis on top of everything. Um, I think the fact that she's white diamond is also not a mistake. Yes, that's true. So it, it it's basically the worst possible thing happens in a stunning moment of television. Like, White Diamond literally tears the diamond out of Steven. It's so fucking distressing. Um, though it's, it is great because it's the ultimate affirmation of who Steven is. Mm-hmm. Because the diamond takes the form of Steven. Yeah, because her point when she does that is like, why are you insisting upon upon taking this ridiculous form? You're just being obtuse and petulant. And, well, maybe the problem is that you've surrounded yourself with this human child. And if I just remove the gem, then you'll reform as who you really are. But what ends up happening is that basically Steven's human form is dying and there's sort of a ghostly gem form that is Steven. And so the point is like, no, this isn't something, a costume that I am putting on. This isn't a game that I'm playing. This isn't something I'm doing to piss you off. This is really, truly who I am. Which, if there was, you know, another, again, big flashing neon sign saying trans allegory, right? And then White throws a fit. Which is great, because she acts like a child. She's like, no, no, no. And then Steven's like, like, she's like, somebody says, like, why are you acting like a child? I am a yo, child. What's your yeah. excuse? <laughs> yeah, White White says to him, why are you acting like a child? And he says, I am a child. What's your excuse? And then she blushes. Right. She goes off color. Yeah. Um, And that is kind of ultimately, you know, releases everyone from her thrall and convinces her that she needs to, like, behave differently. And so they go back to Earth and there's a big lovely montage of them healing all of the corrupted gems and la-di-da-di-da, right? And from a... Yeah, so let's let's take a look at sort of like, is it wrap-up time? Are we wrapping up the messages in the show? I was going to talk about, yeah, the messaging of this this con- this conclusion the message is embedded in this conclusion to the show yeah lars comes back steven has a big show the diamonds come to earth and they heal all the corrupted gems everything seems to be wrapping up in a pretty child cartoon fashion steven is who he is the diamonds accept him everybody is getting healed like it <laughs> All the conflicts are supposedly addressed, or most of them anyway. Cool. Mm-hmm. What the fuck does that actually tell us at the end? Like, what's the message here? Clearly, it is important to affirm P 
people. Like, the, like, a core aspect of their identity should not just be something we bulldoze over. Family dysfunction sucks. Um, empires are bad, except maybe not really, as we'll talk about in a second. Um, I don't know. Anyway, so I'll let you take it away because you do this best. Okay, yeah. So from a interpersonal and psychological perspective, this finale, this resolution is like pitch perfect. You know, obviously it's a little unrealistic because it's a children's show. You know, it's like, well, you can't fix thousands of years of dysfunction that easily, blah, blah, blah. Um, so from that perspective, they did an incredible job. It's one of the best things that's ever been on TV, period, honestly, in my opinion, in terms of its emotional and psychological depth. However, this is not a psychodrama about an individual family. This is a space opera about a galactic empire that has existed for thousands of years committing massive resource theft and genocide across the galaxy throughout that period of time. And by making, and by the way, the show is very much addresses the idea that there is a great deal of class stratification and oppression of minorities of various kinds and that worlds are colonized and sapped of their resources and that every living thing on those planets dies. So massive, massive, massive genocide and ecocide on a galactic scale and that there are wars because of this and that it's that it's militarized and all of these real true complex things that happen in real societies and in real empires in the United States, you know, very real things. And it makes a point to bring all of those into the story and make the story about those things also. And then ultimately resolves all of that by saying that this is a problem because the the elite of this society is a dysfunctional family and if this dysfunctional family can solve their dysfunctional problems then everything will be okay and that is just ultimately a really misguided and harmful message from a political and economic standpoint there's a real tendency and i think that that they that they portrayed in this way not just not just because it's the way that Steven would see it, not just because a show can only do so much, but it's they do it because it's actually what they believe, because there's a big tendency among liberals as opposed to leftists to view all politics as a consequence of identity and interpersonal conflict that has no material basis in reality. Well, and so. Go ahead. So, I mean, is there a good example of that kind of thinking here? Because I definitely had previously come at this very much from focusing on the family dynamics. So, like, what is something that people do this with in real life? Yeah, so the most classic example is it's like, it's really, it's a... Um, sarcastic tweet, but it says, hire more women prison guards. <laughs> um, but that's, you know, based in the, 
The entirety of Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign is a great example. Um, The way that mainstream liberals reacted to everything about Bernie Sanders and his supporters is a great example. Uh, Hillary Clinton's saying that breaking up the big banks won't solve racism is an example. So it's this idea that what what all the real problems are is not acknowledging everyone's identity appropriately. Or the problem with big finance is that the executives of big finance don't proportionally represent all of the minorities in society. And that if we just acknowledge everybody's pronouns and um, examine our privilege and stop doing microaggressions and have everything run by uh, you know, girl bosses who have we- read the White Fragility book that our society will be fixed. But unfortunately, that is not true. Um, because while identity politics is very useful in that obviously we should igno- acknowledge core parts of people's identity, we should examine the ways in which we as individuals are complicit in um, identity-based forms of oppression, while none of that is untrue, that is not actually politics. And politics is a material thing, and the harm that is done on a systemic level by a particular political system and by its actors exists materially in the real world. So when it comes to these gems, those planets that they mined for resources really are fucking shells and everything that once lived on them is dead. That has nothing to do with how anybody on any creature on that planet identified or felt or how they saw themselves. And it sure as shit has nothing to do with the amount of pressure that white diamond put on her family members. So, so, so basically it's not, if we can get the queen on board, right? I think, as you said, if, um, mm-hmm. what Philip and Megan, yeah, if Harry, so the big thing right now in in the real world with the British royal family is that like Henry, like sorry, Harry and his black wife Meghan have basically been ostracized from the entire royal family because like the queen personally is a racist and has also like unattainable standards for how people should behave. So actually, actually, it bears a lot of resemblance, right? And so the ending to Steven Universe politically is like saying that, okay, so there's this interpersonal relationship conflict between the queen and the rest of her family on identity and behavior basis. So if Harry and Meghan go to the queen and they convince her to understand Meghan as a person and acknowledge her identity and be kinder and just treat her family generally with a greater degree of respect and understanding and just be a nicer person, that that somehow will solve the problems of the British Empire, both the historical (laughs) harms and prevent harms going forward. And yeah, it's ridiculous, right? That's ridiculous. So, and it's ridiculous in this show to say that like somehow the fact that like White Diamond is going to try and be a nicer, gentler person who acknowledges Stephen's pronouns, like 
does not fucking dismantle a massive, resource-intensive, aggressive, militarized empire that has existed doing incredible harm for thousands of years. It does nothing to solve any of the problems that existed before, except in the very small case of doing reparations for the biological warfare they committed on the Earth, um, never mind any of the other planets. And it also does nothing to dismantle anything that is... These kinds of systems, at a certain point, become self-perpetuating. I was about like, to you say, know, like, at one, like... You have to assume that unless a dictatorship is perfect, um, mm -hmm. that there's going to be corruption and systems will be set up in an empire that are autonomous. So things will... Like your empire is not well run if there isn't a degree to which it runs itself. Right. So like, although the diamonds seem to have a lot of control and do micromanage a decent amount, you still have to assume that a lot of diamonds under or diamonds gems under them are going to be acting in their stead and will commit these harms. You know, like it, it, it's just so crazy to think that all of this will just stop. Yeah, it's like even though they came to Earth and like gave medical aid to heal all the people who were harmed by their biological warfare that doesn't do anything to fix literally anything else at all it's just the there the a member of the elite circle had a personal pet cause related to this so they acquiesced to his desires is what happened there you know i so i think that like is as like powerful and well done as this ending is from a psychological perspective the fact that they also made this story about a political entity and then made this the ending is actually really bad political messaging and it comes from a viewpoint that is like not just something i disagree with but that i believe is actively harmful in our real world politics i was you know, this makes me wonder. I think it's been very well established, right? How much of an animophile these writers are. Yes. Especially Rebecca Sugar. She, she created the story. She created the main actors, even if she didn't write every single thing. She clearly set up the gym world that way. She has chosen a space opera format. So when you think of space opera, I always go to Gundam. Uh, it's not the only one, but it, it, you know, it's sort of the classic. And anybody who has watched those shows with any degree of criticism will see that the shows are about child soldiers, genocide, uh, ecocide, um, revolution, just like really big political things. And it does it usually in a pretty unflinching way. It's like, your war is so bad. You've killed so many people that kids are fighting your war for you. Guys, what the fuck are you doing? Um, so that's the standard like format for space opera. <laughs> and in a show like that, Generally speaking, things would end more akin to how you kind of want it, where like people fight over these things and people who are punished 
or are trying to be punished should usually get punished in some way. Like, things should end up logically based on the harm being done. Mm -hmm. I think choosing that format for this show may have incidentally hamstrung their ability to do that very well, which is, of course, not absolving them of that, but is more to say perhaps they should have chosen a slightly different archetype. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, I understand that she... She wanted to have a story where, like, the emotional stakes were very high because she wanted to tell a story that was very emotional. And so she probably felt that she needed to have very high stakes in general. Um, and obviously, I fucking love this show. It is an excellent, excellent show that is beautifully done. The psychological and emotional themes are almost perfectly executed, you know. Um, but maybe if you wanted to tell us tell a story that was primarily about people's emotions um maybe a galactic empire was not maybe the best lens <laughs> you know because what you end up doing is sort of with a combina through a combination of an accident of the format you chose and your actual political beliefs that I think are bad um, end up embedding act like end up embedding a really bad political and economic message into your show about people's feelings. Yeah. See, the psychologist in me can't fault anything. <laughs> like that's I earlier Paige and I were um having this conversation and it was very clear we each read this differently um of course now i can see like how serious those criticisms are and yeah. it's very important that those be there and i mean mm -hmm. i guess i had understood that i'm like so is this just gonna fix everything but i didn't yeah i didn't take that that thorn and stick it in all the way <laughs> and, and, and think about just how big of a problem that really is. It's so much bigger than the corrupted gems on Earth. That's like the tiniest facet of the problem, you know? Um, but also part of that is like Steven's a child. So and that's the only part that he's immediately interacted with. So that's really the only part he can truly conceptualize, you know? Um, and, and I'm almost like I was saying earlier, I'm almost glad that there is this sort of big glaring spot that I can criticize it for because in so many other ways, it is such a beautifully executed show. The animation is beautiful. The music is beautiful. The storytelling is excellent. The emotional themes are complex and well executed. It's just really, really, really good. And I feel like it's been kind of a while since there's been a show that I really, truly love that I can also look at it and say like, but wow, there's this big, huge 
horrible message that act almost accidentally is stuck in the middle of there right because that's one of the things that we want to talk about it's like what are the messages in these shows the subtextual messages that reflect on our real world you know whether or not they were intended they're always a consequence of the way that the people created them the people that created them see the world you know but they may not have been the intentional message right and, and so it, it's it's almost like refreshing to again be because with adventure time there really was very little in there where i could be like whoa that's really reflective of something in the real world and that's actually like a really harmful message and we should be critical of that portrayal but with this i can be like no there is something like that there's like really truly something there to criticize and like think about when we make programming you know yeah i think so much of that has to do with the fact that like the subject matter of a show has to involve those things for those messages to be there for us to yes. criticize right yes. with, with an absurdist show you're just not going to get that because yeah absurdism itself like kind of defies that sort of deep message approach like for sure by, by its nature so it is definitely nice to see that and, and i would hazard a guess that a lot of shows are going to provide that when they are plot based and not that adventure time wasn't plot based but like i'm thinking of some of the shows we may end up watching that like she-ra for example like is very clearly about like female empowerment right yes. as a message so i'm interested to watch that show and see if they use clumsy setups for yeah. this female empowerment premise and it's interesting because i feel like a lot of times when you do have a message that you want to convey with your art that's when you're most vulnerable to unintentionally including other very negative messages you know, I think that's a lot of what happened here is they were so focused on telling a message, telling, creating a message about identity and, um, you know, um, dealing with one's emotions and confronting dysfunction and all that kind of stuff that they kind of threw everything else to the side, even if it really needed to be addressed based on the framework that they'd created and because of that they ended up also including another message that is not great i have not watched future yet so i do not yet know how future will bear on any of this i like barely remember future i only watched it the one time so I maybe this will change, but I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. <laughs> <laughs> um, Steven Universe original run. What an iconic event it was. I, I think from the hiatuses to the Steven bombs to the actual content of the show to the online experience of discourse about the show, the whole thing was an experience to be a part yeah. of. Yeah. 
Definitely. And it's actually kind of sad. Like, it's very sad that it's done. It's all done. We haven't gotten to the final part yet, but, you know, as I grow older, I look at things that are done and I think, it will never come again. <laughs> it has passed. I'm in the fall of my life. <laughs> Everything will just be insult after insult of things ending and never coming again. You sound like Ronaldo. I know. That's what I was going for. <laughs> my, I just don't have locks flapping in the breeze. <laughs> I wish I did. But, but oh, no, it, it was, it was excellent. It happened during college too, which man, what a time for any sort of critical analysis of identity to happen during college. Oh, man. Yeah, but I guess, like, that one's... Okay, that one's for the books, I suppose. Um, we are gonna do an episode on future here on the main feed, but what do you say, Chris? Are we gonna be releasing the episode on the movie or the main feed, or is that one gonna be a subscriber only? Oh, man. Gosh. I don't know what we should do. Because the movie matters. It Like, yeah, it's hard to understand future without the movie. So I think people should make sure that they're following us so that when we send out a message telling them what to expect, they'll get it. They'll know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so we'll keep that mysterious for you guys. In the behavioral sciences, we like to focus on carrots over sticks. <laughs> carrots are more effective than sticks. So this will be a carrot. There you go. There you go. Yeah, but I think I've uh, said everything I have to say about uh, seasons four and five. What about you? Fuck Kevin. Yeah, fuck Kevin. <laughs> that's that's the last thing I'll say is fuck Kevin. Yeah, actually just end the recording now. Fuck Kevin. But then they won't hear how to find us. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. OK, so as usual. We are available for contact on social media. We are Animates Podcast on Facebook and at Animates on Twitter. You can also reach us via email. That email address is animates at gmail.com with the numeral eight instead of the letters A-T for any longer requests or solicitations for communication. Please also remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast because it will help other people find the show. You can also subscribe to our Patreon if you want to throw us a little cash to help us pay for the hosting fees. That's also where you can find occasional bonus content and maybe the episode on the Steven Universe movie. But ultimately, this has been Animates. I've been Paige. And I've been Chris. Thanks for listening. <laughs>